everybody. We're going to get nuts. <laughs> All right, doing my best Michael Keaton impression today. Uh, probably not going to be winning any awards with that one. But in any event, welcome everybody to another edition of Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and this is episode number 62 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. And if you couldn't guess, based on the dramatic music at the start and my uh, award-worthy <laughs> impersonation of Michael Keaton's Batman, today is a special episode. I'm going to be sharing with you my thoughts and reactions to The Flash, which I had an opportunity to see on Monday in IMAX, kind of one of the first showings of the movie that they have been doing the final cut of the movie ahead of the uh, wide release that is occurring as of the uh, release of this podcast. Now, in addition to uh, sharing with you my thoughts on The Flash, I'm going to also revisit Batman, Michael Keaton's first time donning the cape and cowl back in 1989. It seemed appropriate, given Keaton's presence in The Flash, as well as uh, Keaton's time as Batman, and full disclosure, he is my favorite actor to play the Cape Crusaders. So it really seems like a perfect way to uh, kind of have a double feature, if you will. So that is on the agenda for today. But before I begin with the, the main topic for today's show, I want to say, as I always do at the start, thank you to you, the listeners. Thank you to you, the friends of Phil at the Movies, for tuning in each and every week, and hearing what I have to say on movies. I know I may sound like a broken record, but this is a passion project for me, will continue to be a passion project for me, but the response from you, the listeners, the friendships that have been made, the connections, have just been all the more worthwhile and have really enhanced this uh, this project that I've been doing. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love doing this, and, and I really love the, the connections that have been made through doing it. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. All right, everybody. So here's how today's episode is going to work. It's going to be divided into two parts. First half, I will share with you my reaction and thoughts on The Flash. For the second half, I will be revisiting Batman. So kind of a, as I said, a double feature. But at the top, I want to put out a full disclosure and, and, and disclaimer that there will be some mention of spoilers in my in my discussion today because while I, I understand the movie has just opened today and and certainly I'm going to try to keep I will put up you know a, a flag if you will before anything uh, is too heavy on the spoiler side just as a, as a fair warning there will be some mention of plot points and key moments in this movie just because it kind of relates to my overall reaction and thoughts about this movie. So if you haven't had a chance to see the film yet and you want to savor the theatrical experience and, and the overall enjoyment of, of the movie, then I totally get it if you want to step away from the podcast and return to another return to it another time. But uh, I will try to do my best to put up a, a warning before I, I mention anything too, uh, too revealing or too specific to the plot but again just as a as a full full fair warning there will be some uh, plot points mentioned in this particular review so putting that all aside flash of course opens this week as of this episode's airing the flash will have opened nationwide it's worldwide release has begun and i got a chance to see the movie on monday night 
in IMAX. It was at a fans first event. Uh, final cut of the movie was shown, and the theater was electric. I mean, you could feel the excitement and the energy to see this movie. And again, given the the storied history of its production, to say to say nothing of the of the other uh, situations and 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 challenges for its star Ezra Miller. I mean, th- this this movie has been a long time coming, and it's really it's really been heralded as a monumental movie for the DC cinematic universe on two on two points. Because one, it's it's really a multiverse story of epic proportions, and it does its part in essentially resetting or rebooting, however you want to to say it, the entire. DC Universe going forward. So beginning in 2025, there will be a new Superman movie directed by James Gunn, and it will be essentially you know a new universe, a new set of characters, a new set of situations. And so this movie is kind of ending the last decade of films that began with the release of Man of Steel. So 2013 to 2023, here we go. This is truly the end of an era and it has been it's been chaotic it has been it has been divisive it has been frustrating it has been exciting to say to say the very least but uh everything kind of has has come together with the release of this movie and i will say right at the right at the start of course i've been uh, saying this really from the beginning my main focus, my main interest in this movie was the return of Michael Keaton. I'm, of course, a big Batman fan and especially a big fan of Michael Keaton's interpretation of the character. So a Flash movie without without Keaton probably wasn't going to be that high on my, on my radar. Now, all that being said, after seeing this movie and watching this story unfold because it really is a flash story this is the barry allen story i know the marketing has tried to to paint it in some ways as batman 3 uh, or essentially a, a, a batman centric movie that is not the case and while batman particularly michael keaton's interpretation plays a prominent role in the story and in in barry allen's development this is at the core a flash story he is the heart and soul of this movie and i came away from it right after the end of it just a a bigger fan of the of the character of the flash so i mean right off the bat the movie did did a great job at kind of converting me uh to to a you know being much more of a of a flash fan than i was going in so that was a nice surprise but immediate reaction right after the Lights came up at the end of the movie, amazed. Absolutely amazed, and in the days since, love it. Absolutely love this movie. In a world where we have so many superhero comic book movies and so many multiverse superhero movies, and I will get to that in a moment, The Flash, in my view, runs circles around many of the recent comic book movies and and delivers a real triumph. I mean, this film is funny. I was surprised at how much humor is in this film. And it's not 
out of place. It doesn't overshadow the emotion or the action. It's really character-driven and and sort of rises from the situation that, that Barry Allen and company find themselves in. So I was really impressed with how the humor was able to work so well with the action and and the emotion but it is non-stop action it is well paced i never felt the film was dragging or needed a cut here or there it is a non-stop thrill ride really from beginning to end it is a a fast movie uh to uh to uh to reference the flash if you will but it is it's balanced with the humor the action and then ultimately anchored by this emotional story, which really is the heart and soul of it. As I said, Barry Allen, The Flash, he is the center of this movie. That is what this film is about. This is not a Batman movie. This is not a Supergirl movie. This is not a Justice League movie. This is a Flash movie, thus the name. And that, to me, was what I think I really took a lot away from, is that this is this is his story, and it's a very personal one because I think we've all we've all had moments in our life where we've wanted to to go back in time or, or wished we could go back in time and change something or, or undo a decision that we had made or, or prevent something from happening and what this movie ends up ends up capturing is that each and every one of us has a past and we all have scars We've all had something happen that affects us and kind of makes us into the people that we that we become. But ultimately what the movie makes a larger point about saying, which I really I really took to heart, is that even though we all have a past and we all have scars, some of them can be very deep and, and, and painful, we don't have to be defined for the worst. We don't have to be defined indefinitely by what has happened we can move forward and and ultimately we can affect our future we can't alter the past the past is the past but we can change the future just by by going forward each and every day and watching the the character arc of of barry allen who we were first introduced to to ezra miller's interpretation in in the, I want to say it was the, the Batman v Superman movie, which was just a two-second cameo. I mean, if you blinked, the character was gone. And prior to that, the, the real kind of main focus uh, for the character was uh, in the Justice League movie. And he's a supporting character uh, at best. This is, this is his movie. This is his story. And I really liked the arc that we see in this film of watching him go from an inexperienced and headstrong, almost rebel, into a a tested and not mature, but maturing adult. And and that, to me, kind of goes back to what this movie ultimately is. It it really feels like a coming-of-age story in addition to being a superhero movie. I picked up a lot of Back to the Future vibes with this film, which, again, it's a time travel multiverse movie. It makes only uh, perfect sense that you're going to have some references or or, or sort of thematic overlaps with a film like Back to the Future. And as an aside, I I thought it was an interesting uh, little uh, uh, little, uh, 
Easter egg, if you will, when the timeline gets screwed up, when when Barry is able to go back and and change the past, one of the uh, one of the consequences is a, a consequences of his of his actions is the character of of Marty McFly in Back to the Future is no longer played by Michael J. Fox, and again, it's only just sort of mentioned in in a few. Uh, moments of, of dialogue, but it ends up they end up revealing that the character is played by uh, Eric Stoltz, who was in fact the original person uh, cast as Marty McFly before he was ultimately replaced by uh, by uh, Mar- uh, Michael J. Fox. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting little uh, Easter egg that they that they tucked in there to kind of show how the you know the larger universe had been affected by. Barry's decision to go back and pass, uh, go back in the past, but uh, sort of on to that point. Back to the back to the Back to the Future reference, if you will. Barry Allen kind of almost has a lot of overlaps with with Marty McFly and his interactions with Batman. Both Ben Affleck's version of the character and later Michael Keaton's has a very Doc Brown vibe to it. And like I said. It, it, this is a comic book movie, so you have all of your elements that are associated with it. But it's frankly the the human parts, the the, the story elements that really make this movie shine for me. Because Barry's decision to go back and and change the past is motivated not necessarily by some you know o- you know overly selfish. Uh, desires, not like he's trying to go back and become rich or something, but he wants to save his mother. He wants to prevent his mother from dying, and so by going back in the past, he ends up affecting the events that otherwise caused his mother to die and sent his father wrongly to prison for her murder. And so it sort of starts out with these noble intentions, but it realizes, or he realizes as the as the situation unfolds, that this is much more complicated and that it has affected everything he know, uh, knew to be reality and true. And so when he finds himself, he's no longer in the, the you know, living in the present, but he's stuck in the year 2013 and he meets a version of himself that is now no longer the Flash because it ultimately shows that by changing the course of his personal history where his mother was tragically killed and his father went to went to prison there was no event for him to become the flash because part of the reason he became the flash is he wanted to become a criminal uh, forensics investigator and while working in a lab one night there was an accident he was struck by lightning and thus was given these superpowers but take away the death of his mother the version of himself that he meets is is no longer a superhero or i should say has never become a superhero and it's through that sort of realization and then the arrival of the alien threat presented by general zod which was a nice callback to the man of steel movie from 2013 barry realizes that he has to try to rectify what has happened and and save the world but the world that he finds himself in does not have a Superman or an Aquaman or a Wonder Woman, and his only choice is to recruit a much different Batman. This is not the Batman that he has been working with and known for years, but a much grizzled and, frankly, uh, 
jaded Batman than the one he has been uh, dealing with is dealing with in his own reality. And of course, that's where where Michael Keaton comes into the movie. But the the film sort of takes you on this this journey through the best of of DC. And now I'm going to get into some spoilers here because this was really the one of the the big highlights for the movie during the speed force scene which i mean really feels like a direct translation from the comic book i mean as i said this movie feels like a comic book come to life a lot of the action sequences there's a fantastic opening where the flash is working with batman to stop a robbery that feels like it is a it is ripped right from the page of a comic book and and translated beautifully to the screen but the the speed force scene where Barry keeps going back and forth and back and forth in time to try to prevent the future from being affected because again he's trying to save this world in which his his mom is still alive there is this dramatic and and frankly heartfelt tribute to all the DC properties of the past and there's there's so many unique and and frankly touching cameos and, and tributes that, that really stood out. And this is where I'm really going to get into some spoilers. So there, we start to see as he's going back in time, and I can't even describe this because it really is a visual treat. I mean, this is eye candy uh, for a superhero movie. It, it is so imaginative and, and explosive that you really have to see it to, to believe it. So I apologize if it doesn't come across uh, as maybe epic as, as, uh, as it was for actually seeing it. But during this, this sequence where Barry keeps going back in time, back in time, we're seeing all these different worlds and, and universes sort of unfold or folding and, and collapsing onto themselves. And some of them are are direct throwbacks and callbacks to DC properties of the past. So we see flashes of the George Reeves Superman show from the 1950s. There's uh, a a clip from Adam West take as Batman. There is a beautiful tribute that shows Christopher Reeve as Superman alongside Helen Slater's version of Supergirl. The real surprise for me was they showed a world in which, hold on to your hat, Nicolas Cage is Superman. Now, for those who, uh, for those who the uh, maybe the uninitiated, let me give you a little history lesson on on Nicolas Cage as Superman. This was not just a fun WTF moment. This was originally a plan that was set in place in the 19, late 1990s in which Tim Burton, uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, the director of the first two Batman movies, was going to direct a Superman movie. And it was scheduled, I think, for like 1999 in honor, uh, or 1998 in honor of the character's uh, anniversary. Uh, and the plan was to have uh, Nicolas Cage play Superman. Now, this was not just a film that was sort of in the pre-production stages or the idea stages. There was a script. There was uh, production designs. Uh, there was costume fittings. There are photos. You can go find pictures online of Nicolas Cage wearing a prototype Superman suit. 
And of course, you know, the, the film never came to fruition, but it, it's sort of been a, a storied and, and kind of a lore for uh, for DC fans that Nicolas Cage almost played Superman. So that was sort of a fun reference to what could have been over over 30 years, almost 30 years ago. And again, seeing it right there in in live action and sort of a representation of another world really was just a, a a bonus that I did not anticipate or nor expect and it was it was definitely a a surprise to be sure and a, a welcome one to say the least but that whole sequence really kind of it, it, it's pure comic book movie magic because we're seeing all these different universes and worlds and it really felt you know as a fan to be this wonderful tribute to the DC universe to all that has come before. I mean, this film really feels like a celebration, a love letter to the entire brand, to the genre. And I know I've mentioned it at the start that this is a multiverse movie. It is a time, uh, a time travel movie. I found this to be one of the better ones that has been released in in recent years. I mean, I think the Flash really runs circles around the likes of Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Avengers Endgame, and I mean, again, you know, put put down your virtual pitchforks and, <laughs> and torches. Yes, I know. I may, not everyone may share that opinion, and that's fine. But I, I, I really liked the way time travel and multiverses were handled in this movie, and there's a great explanation where Michael Keaton's uh, character comes into play where he really explains the whole concept of, of time travel and the breaking of the multiverse and he uses a bowl of pasta and kind of dumps it all onto a plate and so we're looking at this spaghetti and it really captures what happens when a character goes back in time to change something and how it ends up screwing up not just the present but everything else and so the universe or universes becomes like a scattered bowl of spaghetti with with timelines and universes intersecting and 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 being erased all entirely or, or being rewritten and i thought it was sort of a unique uh way to to emphasize it and kind of going off of what i said about the the, the back to the future vibes Keaton's Batman really feels like that that Doc Brown character from from those movies. Sort of the 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 elder, wiser Batman who has uh, has seen stuff and and has a world of experience and know how to try and make sense of this uh, of this world, if you will. And to that point, because as I as I said, Michael Keaton's return as Batman was the hook for me uh, in. in having any interest in seeing it from the start and i have to say michael keaton in case you forgot he reminds everyone that he is batman he never lost a punch with this movie he dons the cowl again with such ease it's like he never left 31 years ago this feels like a direct continuation of the batman we last saw in batman returns from 1992 He's he's mesmerizing in in the cowl and, and in the suit. I mean, the stuff that Andy Muschietti and company were able to do with Keaton's Batman is so 
imagined it because certainly those films are some of my favorite, but they were at times limited by the technological uh, barrier of the time. So you couldn't have all the stylized fightings or acrobatics that we see in a lot of the modern Batman movies. But being able to see Keaton's Batman gliding on screen and, and just outright kicking ass was I mean the, the the kid in me was was just was just screaming with 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 excitement and and pure joy and it was a wonderful thing just to be able to see my favorite Batman back on screen and and doing what he does best I mean it it goes without saying and I will certainly get into that with uh, my my revisiting of Batman in, in a few moments but with just the utterance of his iconic phrase of "I'm Batman," it reminds anyone, in case they forgot, that he is one of the best actors to to play the Dark Knight, and it really is a, a, a large portion of the film. As again, a lot of people thought, based on the marketing, that this was a Batman-centric movie, and it's not. But but the Keaton elements really pack a punch and it's really cool to see his relationship vis-a-vis Barry and how they kind of both learn from each other and and ultimately grow uh, you know because of their experience with one another and it's you know again Barry is the one that recruits Bruce Wayne out of retirement we don't get any necessarily uh, inklings other than just a few lines that he mentions about how Gotham City is safe and doesn't need Batman anymore but ultimately because I think uh, of his past and because of the shared kind of history or, or, or mutual understanding with 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 Barry Allen Bruce feels that need to to help and and don the don the cowl again and it it leads to just some absolutely iconic and and wonderful moments for for Batman. I mean, Keaton's Keaton's interpretation is iconic and as I said it's my favorite and and frankly one of the best, you know, and arguably could be the best takes on the character. Uh, but just seeing him in the context of of working with with others, working with a team. That was something we never saw in the the Burton Batman films, but it's it's there on on full display in this film and it kind of is an interesting you know what if or what could have been had Keaton ever uh, you know continued on post Batman returns but as i said this feels like a nice smooth transition it never misses a beat and ultimately the character is given is given justice and again spoilers right here uh you know for for everyone Keaton's Batman dies in the movie and it is it is emotional it is it is certainly impactful but it felt it felt earned it wasn't just a okay we have to kill him off for the sake of killing him off it it happens in the course of the story and it kind of illustrates to Barry his realization that you can't keep going back in time and altering the past because you're ultimately going to affect the future in ways that you may not have intended and sometimes for the worse. Again, point in case with what Barry did vis-a-vis his mom, we get a world without superheroes, without Superman, and is now under attack uh, from an alien 
invasion. And so it's through that that interaction with Batman that I think Barry starts to realize that okay, I've done I've done more harm than good here, and and not everything uh, can be undone, nor should it be undone. But I mean, it was a it was an emotional moment uh, for me just seeing Keaton uh, have his swan song. It was it felt earned. It it, it wasn't uh, over the top, and it and it kind of felt right for for his take on the character that he would go down fighting. He would go down in the line of duty because that has always been his Batman. And he has this wonderful final line with with Barry where you know he essentially thanks him for for bringing him back that he brought him out of his his shell brought him out of his isolation and made him uh, you know rush out to try to save the day one more time and that's that is the the, the, the beauty of Batman that's the story of Batman so it was a it was a wonderful final send-off for for his character and again it was an emotional moment, uh, and you definitely could, uh, you know, could could feel that uh, that uh, that that palpable sense of, oh, uh, you know, there there he goes from the uh, from the theater. But I mean, just the 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 way this film is is constructed, it really kind of drives home this point that we have to live with our scars, and and they define us, but they don't have to define us in a negative way that we can rise above it and become something better and can ultimately shape the future in a more positive and constructive way. Uh, this this is this is a movie that I think will be discussed for a while. There's a lot of um, certainly chatter online about it prior to its release. I imagine post its release there'll be even more. And and certainly there is a lot of, uh, of discussion around this film, not only because of the storied history, but because of, of Ezra Miller. And I will just sort of mention, because it is uh, the elephant in the room, Ezra Miller blew me away with this, film, with this film. Their performance is incredible, especially when they are playing two versions of themselves. And that can sometimes be a little hokey or over the top it really feels like we are watching two distinct versions of the Barry Allen Flash character and again with the humor the charisma it, it all worked so effortlessly well and and Ezra really deserves uh, the, the the props for turning in a, a masterful performance and and really an emotional one again tying back to what I said earlier this is a flash story and the character is the emotional anchor that drives the film from beginning to end. But on that on that point about Ezra, because I, I'm not going to relitigate and, and, and discuss all that has been out there with their personal life and, and mental challenges and, and legal situations. That's that's all out there in in, in the public uh, public sphere. But a lot of the the reviews for this film uh, from some critics have been uh, highly critical of the movie because of their perception of of Ezra Miller and i understand if if one doesn't want to uh, see this movie because of how they feel regarding Ezra Miller i totally understand if that's going to 
shape one's opinion or, or, or reaction, that's totally fine, and I get it. I will just say for me, I am able to separate the the art from the artist, and so what 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 is going on or has been going on in in their life in their personal life i am able to separate that and watch the film and engage with the story for what it is not for what is going on uh, in the real world and again i totally understand if 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 folks don't want to do that and i respect people's opinions uh, if they if they feel they can't separate the two I will only just speak for myself that I am able to sort of separate art from life, life from art, and, and engage with it uh, as it is presented. And so, again, I have to give I give credit where credit is is due. Ezra Miller turns in a phenomenal performance with this film, and it's really the performances overall that I think really make this film shine. I mean. The third act of the movie is a little shaky, particularly when you have Batman, Supergirl, and The Flash. And I'll mention the Supergirl character in a moment, played brilliantly by Sasha Kaye. Um, the third act is kind of, I don't want to say it's its a mess, but it is a little jumbled at points. And if that is, if I have a weak part of the film that would really be it because it it just sort of is it it happens and you know there's a lot of moving parts particularly when you throw in the time travel uh sequences and and the alien invasion there's there's a lot going on but uh overall i think those shortcomings are are sort of made up for by the incredible performances i've already mentioned ezra's performance sasha kaye who plays supergirl is phenomenal. She soars as the character, and she's not in the film for a great length of time. But when she's there, damn, she is she is great. And I hope this is not the last we see of her interpretation of Supergirl. There's some uh, uncertainty if she will be brought back for for a future film in the new rebooted universe. I really hope she is because what we get with her character is is incredible. There's there's a pathos to her and sort of this interesting uh, dichotomy of an alien yet at the same time wanting to be human. It's really, really touching and, and powerful. And, and she just, she brings that character to life and and i mean she has a couple badass moments where she is just knocking the the crap out of general zod's character played uh once again brilliantly by by michael shannon but uh she is she is a standout for this uh in, in this movie in addition to of course as i mentioned michael keaton so I mean, you've got three tremendous and 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 compelling performances in this film and again particularly Ezra Miller's Barry Allen. I mean, it's complex, it's emotional, and then ultimately enhanced by by their wit and, and, and charm. But I, all in all, I I had a blast with this movie. The ending of the film is going to be, I think, controversial because there were the film has gone through a, a series of reshoots, 
the original ending uh, is is no longer there. And for those who saw the film in its sort of pre-showing a few weeks ago, uh, I, and I can att- uh, can attest to this because I've talked with uh, with folks who have seen the film uh, or saw the film prior to the final cut being released Monday. And so at the ending of the movie, everything goes back as it were, as it, as it were, Barry Allen returns to his present. Um, ultimately, his father is uh, is um, cleared uh, in his mother's and his mother's death. And life essentially seems to be going back to normal. But in getting a phone call from Bruce Wayne, Barry goes to to meet him and it then reveals that the Bruce Wayne that he's meeting, he thinks it's going to be the Ben Affleck version of of the character. It's not. Now, again, this is another spoiler, so you've been warned. The Bruce Wayne that he interacts, the Bruce Wayne who calls uh, out Barry, is none other than George Clooney's Batman. Now, I mean, when this happened in the theater, people were, were laughing, they were cheering. It was a WTF surprise. And apparently the ending that was shown uh, a few weeks prior uh, was an unfinished cut of the film ended with the audience not knowing who Bruce Wayne was uh, but it just ending with uh, Barry Allen going WTF and then the film cutting to to black so that was a unique surprise again I don't know what this means going forward if this was just a nice little easter egg at the end of the movie to show that the timeline is still screwed up. I don't know if this means George Clooney is going to be the new Batman in a future film. I, all of that is unclear, and I am merely speculating. But uh, George Clooney's turn as Batman is often maligned, and Batman and Robin is quite often regarded, and I will say this for myself as well, regarded as one of the worst comic book movies ever made, and certainly one of the worst, frankly, the worst Batman movies ever made. And so to see him come back now some nearly 30 years, almost 30 years later, as Bruce Wayne in a different context, it was a nice touch. It was a nice Easter egg and ultimately kind of felt like a good either send-off or or tribute to his time as the character. And it really ties into what I mentioned earlier about this being a well-written love letter to DC's past and frankly, you know, summing it all up uh, in one great epic of a comic book movie. So that was a nice little uh, surprise that I didn't see coming at the end of the film. Again, who knows what it means, but it was it was there, and and at least my audience reacted to it uh, overwhelmingly positive. So you know, we'll we'll take it for what it's worth. But all in all, I think this is a special film. It's a top top shelf summer comic book adventure movie already said that i think it's one of the best multiverse time travel superhero films that are that that that, it, that has been put out in recent years and, and all in all it is a movie filled with surprises delightful cameos wonderful tributes incredible moving performances and it is just a lot of fun it's a lot of fun it's pure comic book movie magic I love this film. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it, and I can't wait to go see it again. And I think that is a perfect way to end this session or this segment of of the show. 
definitely recommend this film and I'll use this final moment to do a plug for the show DC Unlimited that I co-host with my two buddies Chris Evans and Anthony Caruso. We will be doing a full deep dive onto this movie in our next episode. We'll be talking all the spoilers, going real uh, deep with our reactions and thoughts. And so if you are at all curious and if you haven't had your fill of me yet, you can tune in to that show. And, of course, I will leave all the show notes in the uh, uh, in the appropriate place for you to find. But on that note, let me make the uh, the quick transition. Let me light up the signal and we'll talk a little bit of Batman. So, as I just said, and as I have been saying for months prior to the release of The Flash, Michael Keaton's return as Batman has been the biggest draw for me vis-a-vis The Flash. And I can tell you right now, the moment he came back on screen and said his famous line, I'm Batman, the kid in me had the biggest grin. It was a grin as big as Gotham City, as big as the Jokers. There we go. Grin as big as the Jokers. And to have my favorite interpretation of the character, frankly, the person who I think has, has done it the best, to have him return was a dream come true. I never thought I would see Michael Keaton as Batman again, and yet here we go. And, and you know, I will say this: I, I'm I'm greedy. I would have loved to have seen Michael Keaton in more than the Flash that, that, than what we got. He's certainly in it a perfect amount, but I mean, like I said, I'm greedy. I would have loved to have had a two and a half hour Michael Keaton Batman. Three, you know, I I would have liked to have seen even more of him because I just think his his take on the character is so unique and incredible and has really left a lasting legacy, beginning all the way with the first time in 1989. So I thought today would be a great opportunity to do a revisit of of the film. Of course, I did my commentary. A few uh, a few months ago, but I thought today would be a great opportunity just to give a concise breakdown reaction to this film. And given that Keaton is back in the conversation as Batman, and certainly it feels like Batmania is with us again, let me just uh, share with you some of my uh, my thoughts on the first serious take on the character, the first live action movie to ground the character in the gritty film noir-esque uh, aesthetic that began with its creation in 1939. So I did a rewatch of Batman prior to The Flash just to kind of psych myself up even more for the return of Michael Keaton. And one of the things that struck me from watching the first Batman movie is that even though this film came out in 1989, it really is remarkable how well it is held up. This film does not look dated. It doesn't feel out of place. Even though there have been great technological leaps and bounds in the last 30 years, this movie has a timeless quality to it. And I think part of that stems from the fact even though it came out in 1989, the movie is set not in 1989 as we knew it then. 
there is not a reference to the 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 era of that time. It almost feels like the movie, even though it may be set in modern day, it's almost like in a different time in and of itself. The way the costumes look, the the aesthetic to the buildings, it's very much a, a World's Fair inspired uh, look and feel to it. A lot of gothic structures. And I think that really helps sell the movie. Whereas, j- just again, for an example, I'm not picking on it necessarily for uh, uh, you know, negative purposes, but just to sort of make the comparison. Um, the first Iron Man movie came out in 2008. And even though it's a, a well-made superhero movie and has great effects and, and moments to it, it is set during that time. It is a product of 2008. And when you look back on it, it does feel like a time capsule to that particular error. You look back at Batman 89 and you don't you don't get the same feeling. And I think part of that stems from the what I mentioned a moment ago, the timeless quality that was instilled in this film. It may you may have televisions and and telephones, but nothing is sort of hindered or embraced by the technology or the attitudes or looks of that day it feels like it is in its own piece it's almost it's like a painting in a lot of ways it just captures a a vibe and an aesthetic and therefore it's it's everlasting and so that was something i really picked up uh on on my most recent rewatch that there is that timeless quality of the film that i think makes it you know arguably one of the great superhero movies because it's it's able to capture not just a a look but also a feeling and on that idea of the look anton first who was the production designer for the film created one of the best gotham cities that has ever been on screen this is a gothic hellscape (laughs) for all intents and purposes it is imaginative the way the buildings seem to go up and up and up and even though this was largely done on a back lot even the miniatures that were created for this film and i mean that's a whole other thing the fact that that the film was a, a i mean that's a project of its time right there you had miniatures whereas now you'd have digital landscapes and, and skyscrapers and while that's all wonderful and fantastic there is something unique and and beautiful about the the painstaking detail that goes in to create miniature versions of a city and, and practical sets. And all of that is right there in this film. But back to the production design, it just, it's so imaginative. And it, it feels and looks as how Batman's world should be, a, a gothic nightmare come alive. I mean, imagining if a, a gothic hellscape took over New York City and didn't let go. That's all right there with this film. And and even you know, the Batcave, it's sort of this weird combination of a, of a futuristic headquarters while also being this this gothic almost hell, if you will. And it's it, it's amazing how much was accomplished in this film and how it really defined the character of Batman for the next 30 plus years. I mean, from the comics to the to future movies, a lot is owed to this original movie. And in part because it is the one that started it all. And just watching it from, from start to finish, 
it's one of those films where, yeah, the story may not be the the grandest, and certainly in my own personal preference, I think Batman Returns is a superior film across the board, but a, uh, particularly for for story and and execution. But you can't argue with with the result of of Batman Returns, he, uh, Batman uh, the first one, excuse me. If regardless of what you may think about the this, the story, and as I said, it's not a a perfect one. I mean, there's some some uh, w- you know weak moments uh, to say the least. But all in all, it hits the mark and it delivers what audiences were looking for. And comic book fans were looking for at that time, which was a, which was a serious, grounded take on the character that was bathed in the the film noir elements of the 1930s and 1940s. Really, that pulp tradition that really birthed the creation of the character back in 1939. But it, it's an event movie; like it, it just feels larger than life. I mean, the the sequence at the end where Batman's in the Batwing and he's taking down the, the, the Joker's gas balloons and they have this sort of showdown in the street. It's larger than life. It's spectacular. And it just leaves you with this great grin. It, it's, it's special. And the movie from start to finish is is peppered with these kind of heroic comic book Moments, whether it's the, the the chase with the Batmobile or or Batman versus then Jack Napier at Access Chemical Factory, all these sort of fun and and just pop uh, larger than life moments that just pop and and stick with you. I mean, even just the the the, the movements of the suit and the way that Batman glides on screen, it it, it stays with you and it's a wonderful visual representation of the character and to think at the time audiences largely their perception of Batman was the Adam West version you know, pow bam and holy guacamole Batman and not that there's anything wrong with that I mean I make no uh, I make no secret about it I'm a, a big fan of Adam West uh, interpretation of the character and certainly the the 1966 show it's a wonderful uh, adaptation on the material and it's a lot of fun and it's you know silly and over the top uh, but it's amazing what they were able to do because for 20 plus years prior to that general audiences I mean comic book fans excluded but general audiences thought of Batman as a silly uh, sometimes campy over the top comic book character it was they never knew him as this dark gritty Avenger and it's really impressive what Tim Burton and, and largely Michael Keaton were able to do at, at shaping the public perception of Batman to now that's all everyone sees. And it's, I think, the correct take on the character as this dark, serious Avenger. But that was a, that was an uphill climb in 1989. And, and, and to think back that Michael Keaton was derided and mocked when initially cast, I mean, now it's it's almost a, a guarantee whenever there's a casting in a Batman movie, particularly for the title role, audiences react in, in, the, in a visceral and, and negative way. And 
always seem to be proven uh, wrong. Uh, but in 1988, when Keaton was cast, fans went went absolutely berserk. I mean, the fact that the Wall Street Journal had an editorial piece criticizing Warner Brothers or or responding to the criticism against Warner Brothers for their casting of Michael Keaton shows the level of of hysteria and and batmania that was certainly sweeping and and building at that time and i mean this is again the days before social media and the internet but i mean letters filing in by the thousands to warner brothers headquarters saying michael keaton should not be batman you must recast him and I mean, some major props to Tim Burton, the director, who stuck to his guns and, and saw something in Michael Keaton that folks at the time prior to the film did not see. And, and again, it speaks to Keaton's strength as, as an actor because at the time people largely saw him as either Beetlejuice or Mr. Mom, but he had done a few dramatic roles prior to Batman, and it was really... That coupled with Keaton's own personality and, as Tim Burton described, his eyes. He had this quality, has this quality uh, with his expression that you can almost see something deeper beneath the surface. And, And if you look at that first film, Keaton doesn't say much as Batman, and I think that's perfect. Batman should talk as little as as possible, but you... You really see in his expression, in his stare, in his glares, there is something deeper going on. And, and Michael Keaton has said on, on many occasions, for him, the end to the character was figuring out Bruce Wayne. And once you figured Bruce Wayne out, the rest, in his view, was simple. And, and that was really a perfect way to start, because if you watch his take on Bruce Wayne, I mean, one, you would never uh, suspect him to be Batman, but... When, when you see his interactions, when you see his expressions, when you see him in his private moments, you get the feeling that this is a a stunted individual, that this is still the eight-year-old boy who lost his parents and is trying to make sense of his pain and his frustration and his anger. And the only way he knows how is to channel it into this creature of the night that he's created, which is, of course, Batman. And there's this wonderful moment in the film that to me I think has never been captured again in any subsequent Batman movie and it is the scene towards the end where Vicki Vale has learned that he's Batman and they're having a discussion in the Batcave and she's saying she doesn't know what to think of all of this doesn't know if she can handle it and Bruce responds to her in the most earnest and and frankly blunt way he doesn't know how to think of all this it's just something that he has to do and she responds by saying why and this right here is the best description the best distillation of the character bruce wayne says back to her because no one else can and that is it like you can add all the other layers and the psychology and the angry little boy, but that line, that simple, almost throwaway line, to me, captures the importance of Bruce Wayne and the Batman character. He is doing this because no one else can, and he is channeling his pain, his anger, his frustration into trying to right the wrongs 
of not only what happened to him, but to prevent it from happening to anyone else. And, and it's just, it's a beautiful line. I, I get chills every time I watch it. And, and that's the thing with, with Keaton's character. He's able to play up both the seriousness and, frankly, absurd nature of of the character. And, and while it's never for laughs, I mean, Keaton plays it serious the whole way. He has a sense of humor to his portrayal that's almost a a sly, uh, dry, witty side that that kind of you know gives you that that sense that you know this guy is very comfortable with who he is and is embracing who he is and that's just again another little flourish that I always appreciate when I watch his take on the character and I mean the whole film itself has this wonderful dichotomy of the battle between Batman and the Joker and I mean while Heath Ledger is my favorite and I think Heath Ledger is the best take on the Joker without question Jack Nicholson was the man for the job in 1989 and and he works in that universe he works as Keaton's Joker it's it's hammy it's it's over the top it's it's Jack Nicholson I mean what can you say the guy is the guy is a living legend but there's a wonderful dichotomy in the film between Batman and the Joker where these are two scarred individuals. I mean, in the case of the Joker, he is scarred physically in addition to being scarred mentally. But Keaton's Batman, of course, being scarred mentally uh, you know, from his own tragedy. But you have these two, you know, for lack of a better word, freaks battling out their, their pain and their suffering, and then ultimately trying to get the advantage over over one another. And it's it's an interesting kind of thematic reading into the movie that you know as the years have gone by, you kind of start seeing the deeper meaning that this is more than just a you know bad guy versus hero. There, there's something deeper and psychological going on, and and that's something I always appreciate uh, with any of these films. But I mean, especially going all the way back to 1989 to see that that kind of element is 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 there beneath uh, beneath the surface and on that point it's a source of great controversy to this day but i have to say i like it in the context of this movie because it it works to the overall themes that i just mentioned and that is of course that the joker is written in the story as having killed bruce's parents now the comic book purist will say, no, Bruce Wayne's parents were either killed by a random mugger or the character named Joe Chill. Again, a, another uh, random street thug. And and while, yes, I, I think it is better for Batman's uh, parents killer to be uh, an anonymous assailant, it works in the context of this movie to have the Joker be the character, be the killer, because it really underscores their their dynamic and their relationship, and it adds a an interesting layer to their to their rivalry. That that again, there's always going to be that interesting uh, yin and yang with Batman and, and Joker, but it's on a whole other level in this film because, interestingly enough, both characters are in some ways, indirectly responsible for one another's creation. Batman, uh, when he was fighting Jack Nicholson at the Chemical Factory, then, of course, years earlier with uh, the Jack Napier character killing Bruce's parents. And so they're both sort of indirectly responsible for their 
eventual alter egos, Joker and and Batman. And I think that's that's a nice touch that works for that movie. And I, and I know that uh, the writer Sam Hamm was opposed to it, but Tim Burton really wanted it, and 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 again stuck to his guns. And I think it it really does work for the for the purposes of the story. But I mean, it, this is just a fun. It is a fun movie, but it, it's also an important movie. I mean, you talk about a milestone comic book movie. Batman really changed the 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 game, if you will, because I mean, prior to '89, Superman was the gold standard, if you will, for a superhero movie. And then along comes Batman in 1989 and changes it entirely. It's it's a whole new kind of blockbuster and now superhero movies could have an edge to them and they could have a darkness to them and certainly that would be en- enhanced and taken in even new direction new directions and even to farther heights in in the years afterwards but i mean that movie really changed the dynamic and 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 gave audiences not only a a dark comic book movie in terms of the aesthetic and 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 story execution but there's a there's a psychological layer to the film that prior superhero movies had not really addressed and it's kind of interesting to look at where the landscape has gone and of course it's gotten much more uh, expansive uh, than than even Batman did in 89 but it's it's sort of fascinating to see that movie as a as a touchstone and it really did change the industry and change the way superhero movies were made, marketed, and and again, it's still celebrated and talked about to this day because not only the challenges for its production and the controversy involving Keaton, but just the overall impact it had on movie-going audiences. It's one of my favorite Batman movies. Of course, Keaton is uh, is my favorite take on the character. I can I can say that with absolute certainty, uh, and. It's just nice to see where it all began. And now with The Flash, it, it does feel, again, even though I've said I'm, I'm greedy and I'd love to have more uh, films featuring Keaton as Batman, I don't think that will happen, but, you know, one can hope. But all that aside, it, it does feel now with The Flash that we really got a nice arc for his Batman and and given where his character starts in in this movie to ultimately where he ends up in the flash it, it feels like a complete journey it feels like a story with a beginning middle and an end and I, I couldn't ask for any more I couldn't ask for any more I mean just I mean just to hear Danny Elfman's score one more time was, was a was a chef's kiss moment so to get not only the music, but to have Keaton back in the suit and, and, again, saying some of the lines that he said all the way back in the 89 film. Uh, just a dream come, dream come true. And, in a, in a, of course, it's fan service, but even more so than that. It goes above fan service to deliver something that is meaningful and special and ultimately can resonate with you. And... Again, I think Keaton's Batman is one of the most complex and interesting takes on the character. And it's just fun to revisit uh, these two films. And then, of course, you know, soon to be, you know, The Flash. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So I, 
I wanted to just sort of tie everything together perfectly with with Keaton and uh, and and Batman. This is a great time, especially for me to be a Batman fan and for uh, fellow uh, Batmaniacs out there. Uh, definitely enjoy this ride because it, it may not uh, it may not happen again. And we are certainly lucky as fans to be able to have this great and triumphant celebration of the character. And I mean, just to sort of tie it in one more time to the Flash, the reaction when Keaton first appeared on screen at my theater when he's in the suit it it, it just harkens back to how it all began in 1989 and really I think underscores or or perhaps illustrates why his Batman is so mythic at this point and why people have such a strong reaction and appreciation for him he's a living legend, an absolute living legend and Again, for me, dream come true to see Batman back on the big screen. To see, to see the original Batman. Here we go. How, how's that? The original Batman back on the big screen for one more, one more outing uh, with the cape and cowl. But no, Batman '89. I always tell people if you are looking for a superhero movie to start with, and there were certainly a lot to pick from, but I, I would definitely recommend going with the first Batman movie is sort of a an entry, if you will, an appetizer to the genre because you really get everything with that film. You get the action, you get the suspense, you get the laughs, and you just get a great time. And ultimately, that's what we should want uh, and frankly expect from any comic book superhero movie is to have a great time. In addition, of course, to the story and to have some sort of larger meaning, but to have a great time with it. I have a great time with with the first Batman movie every time I watch it. And now, of course, with The Flash, it feels like a, a full circle with Keaton's interpretation of the character. So uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty good as a fan. I'm a happy Bat fan, if you will. I'm feeling uh, Bat-tastic. And I think I will call it quits there before you've had your fill of me and uh, all of my witty uh, batty puns but in any event thank you as always for taking the time to listen to the show can encourage everybody to go out and see the flash this weekend i had a great time with it it's one of the best movies of the year and frankly one of the best comic book movies in a, in a good long while so definitely go see it if that is your cup of tea but in any event i'll be back next week and we'll do this all over again for the love of movies 